what are you doing to overcome it? I mean, yes, you've been working on this mission for the last two years and you're very deep in that world right now. And so you have a lens that 99.99% of the people on the planet don't have, right? So knowing what you know, having experienced everything you've experienced in this world, what are you doing to break out of these echo chambers? All right, welcome everybody to Emergence Now. Welcome, Nikos. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. It is 11 o'clock in Chicago. We're doing kind of the reverse. Usually I'm up early in the morning and you're up late, but this time we're switcherooing a little bit. So before we dive in, I wanted to touch on a couple of things that caught my eye in the mainstream. So AI put out an article about what OpenAI really wants. I thought this was really interesting. So OpenAI, as you all know, or you may or may not know, brought us ChatGPT. So OpenAI is this nonprofit research company founded in 2015 by no other than Elon Musk and Sam Altman and a few others. So they came out now, they're just reinforcing their mission. And the mission is to really ensure that AGI, artificial general intelligence, which is something that we've talked about on the show, benefits all of humanity. So AGI basically is this hypothetical type of artificial intelligence that would be as intelligent as a human being. And so this article is really interesting in the sense that they're really going all in on this mission of ensuring that AGI benefits everyone. So it's a really big mission. Did you catch this article? I got inklings of it and I saw some news around it. And of course, that's what they're going to say about it. They need to say that. It's like they're not going to say, we're only going to spend about 40% of our time ensuring that we've got the alignment problem solved. So what else are you going to say? That's true. Another thing that caught my eye, and since we're talking about a really interesting topic today, and I'm not going to correlate this just yet, Another article that really caught my attention was the Burning Man fiasco. So Burning Man is this ultimate tech culture clash that happens in the desert of Nevada. So it's an annual event in the desert, which is known for its radical self-reliance, participation, and this gifting ethos. So in 2023, this year, heavy rains caused flooding and mudslides at Burning Man. And thousands of people were stranded. Of course, Chris Rock on the news again, he decided to leave the festival early. So he's been getting a lot of flack for that because Burning Man is all about embracing the elements, but yet he bounced. So there's been this back and forth in mainstream media about how was that the right thing to do? But then safety was a major issue. So the incident basically also highlighted this growing divide between long-term Burning Man attendees and those who are new to the event. So what is Burning Man? It's a microcosm of the larger culture clash between tech culture and traditional values. With that, what are we talking about today, Mr. Nikos? Just to close the loop on Burning Man, yeah, it was a good demonstration of what community really is based on this gifting culture that Lewis Hyde had perpetuated around the creative commerce that is provided within a creative community. And we can get into art and creativity and what it means for the artist. But that was really good to see. 
obviously there was a downside. It burst people's bubbles and the porta potties were really messed <laughs> up and it didn't turn into a humanitarian issue. But the upside is it was the first time a lot of those hippies have taken showers in years. So that's one good thing. That's the upside. That is the upside. So what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the long-term effects of technology and ultimately these echo chambers that we all live in around social media, around the bubbles that we have in our feeds, what we're searching for via digital platforms, and really the underpinnings of what we see on a day-to-day -day basis and how that starts to impact our perception, our psychology. So I'll be going over kind of some of these aspects because it's a project that I'm involved in very long term, but I'd like to speak to it more from a macro standpoint before I get into what the solution is. So just giving kind of a brief overview of big tech and social media platforms, obviously the pervasiveness in our lives is very significant. Some of us know that data monetization and privacy concerns are very important in our day-to-day -day lives, especially in our digital worlds, but that profit-driven models prioritize targeted advertising such that our data that we should own is really the new oil, but that data is essentially extracted and harvested and provided to the highest bidder. There are limits in these explicit consent mechanisms. Obviously, there's CPA in California, GDPR in Europe and some initiatives that try to get into fair compensation for users and their data. But essentially, there's a lot of deceptive terms of service. And once that starts to compound, there's limited control over how data is used or shared. This impacts AI algorithms and ultimately has psychological impact on us. Now, what does this mean? What are the implications? Algorithms are essentially designed to optimize engagement, therefore amplifying content that triggers our fight or flight responses, right? Hence these echo chambers and the confirmation bias that we all have within our feeds, because the more that we share viral stuff that tends to be controversial in nature, stuff that makes us click and go, yeah, oh my gosh, I really can't believe that. That's the stuff that kind of goes right into our brain, our amygdala, right? Our lizard brain impulses. And then it turns into kind of our us and them narratives, right? So the polarization are a result of these algorithms. And then what happens? You get misinformation, lack of transparency. You get conspiracy theories, algorithms that start to favor the sensational content over factual accuracy. So then you start to lose data integrity. They are non-transparent data practices. And then ultimately human validation needs to be the source of how we move into this, right? because algorithms are really unable to discern fact from fiction. And so with that, I'll start to get into kind of the binary design limitations of the web as a whole and why search isn't really meant for us. It's meant for the third-party advertisers that want to advertise to us and then how this translates into these ethical dilemmas. But that's really all-encompassing. I wanted to set the stage for what's to come because a lot of people just aren't really aware of what's going on and ultimately how addicted they're becoming to social media, causing a lot of these detrimental effects because of these tech platforms. And of course, there's going to be like a call to action and kind of collective solutions for that. But that's the big dilemma that was covered in The Social Dilemma, The Great Hack, and lots of these other documentaries. But of course, there's a whole lot more. Absolutely. So before you dive in, Neeks, you've mentioned search. And I was wondering, have you noticed that search and specifically Google search and 
Bard, their AI version of ChatGPT is now fully integrated. Yeah, I was hoping that would I was hoping that would be sooner in the roadmap just because when I played with Bard, the results were just terrible. Like the hallucinations were extreme. So I think they started to iterate off of that. And there's been a significant improvement over the last six weeks or so. What are the implications of that? That it's plugged into the web? Yeah. Does that mean it makes it far more superior than ChatGPT as an AI tool? Not necessarily, just because I feel like the training data is stronger because the embeddings are hard-coded and it's superior to a lot of the things that we see because you're just not going to get sufficient results because if you keep pumping these models with real-time data and what starts to get converged around the PageRank algorithm, then you don't really know what you get. I think between the training, the RLHF, which is the reinforcement learning with human feedback, in combination with actual humans that are curating the experiences and curating the models such that they are becoming more accurate. I don't know what processes they put in place in order to do that. And so that's why you always need to spot check a lot of the things that you put into BARD for that exact reason. I haven't played with it recently, but I assume that it's going to be quite a ways before the accuracy starts to get like a significant uptick. But that's just because generative AI by nature, it's getting better over time, but you're still got, getting a lot of inaccurate information and in a lot of these hallucinations because it's really good at making stuff up based on the sample set, based on the initial training data that you get. And so they got to work on that accuracy dial a whole lot more. But yeah, have you had experience with it recently? In the last few days, I've started using it a lot more than I do chat GPT. And I just noticed that I actually don't even need to use search anymore because it shows me a recent archive of what I've searched for. And like you said, it's connected to the web. So it's giving me a lot more of a real time result than ChatGPT does. That's obvious because it's connected to the web, but interested to see how the integration plays into the overall effectiveness and insights that the tool is able to provide. Yeah, I definitely want to play with it, but I wonder because I've noticed just because I use ChatGPT so much and I use it with all of the different plugins that it's getting really smart within a single chat, especially when you turn on custom instructions. It could pull from different places the more that you prompt it. But if you prompt it such that you don't actually ask for the response until you feed it with everything that you need, and this could go on for so many responses, right? One project that I'm working on, let's call it a book on AI, you could essentially craft an entire research paper. You could switch gears and then turn that into a GTM strategy. You could turn that into a blog post based on the themes that you have. And you can basically keep referring back to that individual chat. And it's gotten so much better at regenerating similar responses in a new way based on custom instructions, based on how you fine tuned it. So the longer you have that chat discussion, then you can get into like philosophical musings. It can get into advanced reasoning. It could be your thinking partner. That's when it gets like really interesting. So I don't need it to be plugged into the web for that, but that's where I'd like to push Bard to the limit. And obviously it being plugged into the web has significant implications, but I'd really like to know because I know how to push the limit on advanced reasoning and just, okay, that's a vanilla answer. That's a first draft of my blog. That's not really good enough. Give me something that I can actually work with and really push it to the limit. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. So going back to echo chambers and filter bubbles, right? 
So I noticed that the European Union is now looking to ban algorithms that promote echo chambers. A quick search around echo chambers, you have high mainstream media that have been talking about this. It's interesting that mainstream media is actually reporting about echo chambers, right? And we can get into who's actually behind the creation of echo chambers. Yes, a lot of this is tech driven, but media does have a role to play in all of this. So some of the articles around this is the financial dangers looking in echo chambers, why echo chambers are so dangerous. Echo chambers may not be as dangerous as you think. Ben Today reported this was a, actually a fairly recent article where they had this study about they found people who are exposed to opposing viewpoints can actually become more accurate in their beliefs by being in an echo chamber. There was another article by The Guardian about echo chambers are dangerous and we must try to break free of our online bubbles. So back to you. What are the dangers? Other than let's go a little deeper in the polarization, for example. Why is that something that we need to be concerned with? Why do we need to be aware? Why do we need to be thinking about this at all? And it's because big tech and social media in general have basically created this digital ecosystem that is this profit over individual well-being and societal cohesion. By monopolizing user data for targeted advertising, and I know because I've spent quite a bit of time in the media tech space trying to get people to click on ads to sell them more pizza or shoes, depending on what time of day it is, and actually using AI to enable this optimization and really oh, good Oh, you profits. did that. That was me. Just solo, <laughs> not personally, of course, but in aggregate, the industry, in addition to getting people addicted to their devices, but also getting people to click on ads, right? It's been known for a really long time. It was the Wild West of advertising prior to GDPR. And a lot of people have speculation about how it turned elections in 2016. And we all know about the Cambridge Analytica scandal and all of that good stuff. But at the crux of it, targeted advertising or clickbait or engagement, these platforms that essentially trigger fight or flight responses through AI, it's basically amplifying content that fuels polarization and misinformation. So that's at the crux of it. So the lack of transparency and user control basically undermines personal data sovereignty. So we don't own our own data. It tends to stifle competition. So the big four or five tech companies that are garnering all of the attention and all of the eyeballs, all of the views are basically hampers innovation at the same time. And in essence, they've commodified attention and personal information at the cost of human flourishing, which we'll get into. And this message is for Gen Z in particular, I think, because you guys are like digital natives. You're practically born with smartphones in your hand. So there's like a universe of information that's always like a swipe or a click away. It feels marvelous, not by a long shot, because when you're scrolling to your feed and you're saying, wow, everyone agrees with me yeah. and I must be onto something, hold up. Have you ever stopped to think why that is? It's because social media is playing you. And it's not that you're suddenly a genius who has all the answers. The game's rigged. Social media platforms, they use algorithms to feed you exactly what you want to hear or see or get mad about. And it's like they're spoon feeding you the comfort food of your own opinions. And that's exactly what the crux of the problem is because now your perception is being shaped. You are looking for behavior modification. And this is essentially a form of what Shoshana Zuboff the professor calls surveillance capitalism. And so that just opens up a ton of 
other problems that you have because of the fact that you live in this bubble, this echo chamber. And I see that all of my feeds, I click on one video. So recently I've been trying to understand Andrew Tate are exposed to him. I can tell from the conversations I'm having with them that there's this external influence that's shaping their perception of certain topics. And I'm wondering, like, where is this coming from? And so as I peeled the layers and spoke to him, I understood that a lot of this could be coming from Andrew Tate. And so I've started trying to understand his perspective, his values, his journey. So I watched a couple of videos and now my feed is full of Andrew interviews, right? Essentially, I'm catching myself starting to really see things from his perspective. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. With that said, because it's a new dump into the feed, I could say it's actually expanded my perspective. So I guess the awareness that this is exactly what's happening can actually have the opposite impact or the opposite benefit or outcome, which is an expansion of your perspective provided you're aware of what's going on. So maybe touch on the awareness side. So it's a big problem. It's a real problem, but it's not insurmountable. Before we go into the solution, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that perspective? Hey there, we're taking a quick break from the show to let you know that if you'd like to invite Dirain or Nikos to speak at your next event on topics ranging from emergence and the inner game to the future of AI, we've got you covered. Simply email us at info at emergencenowpod.com. Once again, that's info at emergencenowpod. Let's dive back to the show. Yeah, just going a little bit deeper on the impact. Andrew Tate's a really good example because he is a polarizing figure because of his experiences, because of the allegations to what he did before in his past and the controversy around that and the way that he speaks to young men in such a way that really resonates with them. And I haven't been on his platform recently, but it's all around free speech. And I know he's become a lot more cognizant about not affiliating himself with any kind of political party, but he'll frequent and you could see, I think when he did, while he was on house arrest and he did that interview with the BC, and I don't even remember the name of that lady, you could tell she just did not like him one bit, just her aversion to him. And he was like completely calm, welcomed her into her home, but you could pretty much tell that there was a narrative that was being spun from that. And she looked at him as a dirtbag versus when he was invited after the fact and did an interview with Candace Owens when she was very respectful and pushed back when needed to. It was just a very different conversation. And to your point, it can give you a level of awareness that you didn't have before, but not a lot of people have the awareness that you do. A lot of people are just constantly clicking and they are on these platforms and these platforms are eliciting behavior such that our emotions are emotional and reactionary and you start to notice how much outrage there is online because it's the rage that gets clicks. It gets shares and the shares mean more money for the big tech companies. And that's why incentives are misaligned from that perspective, because when clickbaity, misinformation, controversial topics 
stuff that you can create in quite literally like a bot farm, it stokes the fire and it makes sure you're always a little ticked off. So you keep coming back for more. So that's a roundabout way of saying that social media isn't just showing you what your third cousin had for breakfast or who's dating who. If you ever tried opening up an incognito window and going into a blank YouTube account, all of a sudden you can click around and it's great and the algorithm is feeding you stuff, but you'll find yourself in rabbit hole after rabbit hole of just starkly weird stuff, which is why I believe that humans in the loop and curating algorithms and tending to algorithms is really the way of the future. Okay, so it's a spectrum, right? You can be in that end of the spectrum, which you just described, going really deep into a potentially dark place that shapes your view in a way that may not be aligned with your values and that may get you deeper into a space wherein you don't see the other perspective. On the other end of the spectrum is a more Pollyanna, more utopian outlook on life. So as someone who Nikos has his finger on the pulse of culture, media, tech, you are surrounded by Gen Zs, Gen Xers, Gen Y. How do you get yourself to a point where you're in the middle. Using tech, how do you eliminate the outlier in terms of perspective and get yourself more aligned with your values, your worldview, and but still be open to other viewpoints given you're so deep in the tech space? Yeah, the only way to do it is to basically re-architect the entire internet so that it becomes, so you have to basically alter the client server relationship because we are all nodes that are feeding the algorithm and we're feeding the algorithm such that the advertisers get the benefit of our future behaviors and our future outcomes. And the only way to fix this is to move back to this user centric type of web. The one that Tim Berners-Lee dreamed about 40 years ago. And so it starts with the premise of user-generated keywords. Keywords, we're creating them all day long. We're basically drafting all of these hashtags and we're appending hashtags to all of these pictures that we take. But guess who owns all of those hashtags? Guess where all of those keywords sit? They sit on other tech companies' tech platforms, bros right? And do that. But it's the tech bros. And it's the keywords that essentially empower users to create data. And so by creating your own custom keywords, you're not just using system-defined tags, you're basically attributing meaning to things and assets and items in your own digital life, thus creating meaning in your digital life. So there's a component of data ownership to this where this ensures how users retain control and ownership of their data and not just giving it to a meta or an Insta or Threads or Facebook. And so you need to do this in such a way where it's still interesting, obviously. So there's got to be like a media experience and a component to it, but there's got to be a way to basically plug in and I'll use a code word. Let's use knobs and levers over keywords that basically introduces this concept of a non-binary tagging system that enables this more nuanced emotional interaction with the content. So that you mentioned the word spectrum. So instead of just writing hashtag beautiful sunset on something, it's okay, 
either it's a beautiful sunset or it's not a beautiful sunset. Are you telling me that if I don't put that hashtag on there, it's not beautiful? Why don't you tell me how beautiful it is, right? Is it the azure sky? Is it the sand on the beach? Is it the girl that I'm with? Is it all of these different things that's making this sunset beautiful? Why don't I create my own relational model that's appended to this keyword in a way that I can create the meaning for myself, right? And so with that, just by changing that, just by changing the polarity between the client server relationship and giving users control over their own keywords, this opens up absolutely everything around data sovereignty, around age rating, around information integrity, such that you now have this, you mentioned Burning Man earlier, now you have this community consensus around subjects. Now you have different experts that you can basically tune knobs and levers to. You can filter out people that are just like trolling you, right? So it's just about putting the control back in the hands of users, not to oversimplify it, but that's really the very beginning of kind of what this mission needs to be about. Very interesting. So essentially what you're saying or what I'm hearing is that it really is all about data sovereignty data and ownership, getting control back or giving control back. Well, you never really are given control. You seize it. So you use the word mission. So it's really getting that control back. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Yeah, of course. Because I want that. Like I want to be able to describe the sunset in a non-binary <laughs> way. It really helps and enhances my self-expression, my creativity. Absolutely. So I wasn't trying to softball something to myself as an entrepreneur. Obviously, you very well know what I've been working on over the past couple of years here. And I have been working on a project that solves this exact problem. We're still in stealth mode right now, but we are opening up beta very soon. So you'll definitely hear more about it. What I can say about it today is that if you are engaged with this mission and you believe that this is a problem, I would just say stay tuned in because it's a lot bigger than just fixing social media. It's a lot bigger than managing our own data. It's a lot bigger than having sovereignty over our data. It's really about human flourishing. And so again, this isn't just to say, oh, I'm coming in with a panacea. And by the way, here's the sales pitch for it. Like, I don't want to shortchange our audience by doing that. I think this is a much longer term story and journey into this. So I like to keep planting seeds around it. If you are engaged with this topic and you want to learn more, then just stay tuned in because there's a big mission around it. And yeah, I'll obviously talk more about it. But right now, I just want to see people respond to the mission. If people are aware of the problem, and obviously that's why you and I have this platform is to do big things as entrepreneurs, as thought leaders in the space, to let people be aware and to see what we can do about it. And yeah, I'm just really excited to see where the conversation goes is the best way that I could describe it. Would you be willing at some point, once you're out of stealth, to share access to the platform and the show notes for listeners to be able to experience it? 100% beta will be available widely to the world. The private beta, anybody can sign up for the private beta in due time. Okay. So what can we do to overcome these filter bubbles, echo chambers right now? What are you doing to overcome it? You've been working on this mission for the last two years and you're very deep in that world right now. And so you have a lens that 99.99% of the people on the planet don't have. 
So knowing what you know, having experienced everything you've experienced in this world, what are you doing to break out of these echo chambers? If I didn't have the tool or this platform that I am building with my partners today, and again, we'll share what that is, then I would do the following things. I would be very cognizant of all of my data. I would be very cognizant of giving my personal information out. I would rarely give my phone number out that can be appended to my email, that can be appended to my social security number, that can be appended to lots of information such that now these data platforms have a constellation about who I am and just being very cognizant of who you give your data. So look in your inbox right now. How many email campaigns are you a part of that you did not opt into? And how often are you unsubscribing for those emails? Yeah, you just wanted to buy something once because you liked a pair of shoes. You may have not hit that consent button, but somehow they're sending you emails. It's still the Wild West, even though a lot of regulation has been upon it. So just be cognizant of who you give your personal information to and be constantly cognizant of what I call the slot machine effect on social media. And this is very prevalent in Instagram, and I've just noticed it so many different times. Right when I post, you're checking, right? You're checking to see if you got any engagement. You check it once, nothing. Check it twice, maybe an hour later, nothing. You're like, what's going on? Check it again, three times, probably two or three likes here and there. On the fourth time or the fifth time, it could be hours later, it could be a day later, all of a sudden you have a flood of likes, a flood of new follows, and a flood of engagement, dopamine spike. Be very cognizant of what you're feeling in that moment when you see that you're getting engagement. What happens to you? And just be aware, what's going on? Is the feeling here? Is the feeling up here? Is it in the back of your neck, right? And so you could incorporate spirituality into this, right? Just being aware of how you're feeling as you are interacting with technology and those things are happening to you. And it's gonna open a whole new world of awareness around how you are engaging with these platforms. Beautiful, you took us straight there. Let me take it up a few notches. How about diversifying sources of information? Absolutely, yeah. Doing your own research. A lot of people, they don't really do the research. So it'll show up on their feed and they'll, it's coming from a source that I follow. And so they don't do the work because people are lazy now. So if it shows up in my feed and cousin Betty shared it with me and she's pretty smart, she's got a PhD, then this must be true. And that's exactly the viral cycle that we're talking about. But to your point, something that's a little bit deeper is why don't you argue on behalf of an opposing point of view? Why don't you do some research, like argue on behalf, let's have an argument, let's test it out with your friends. Or if you are a liberal and one of your close friends is a Republican, have that conversation and then switch roles and say, okay, this communicates to that person that this is my understanding of where you're coming from. And the other person does the same. This is where I understand you're coming from. This is how you've essentially oriented your perspective. And this is how I'm communicating back to you. And then see where you land after that. See if you've changed your mind. And you'll notice that the mind, as I've said before, is a very fickle thing. And the neurons that have wired together, they fire together and wire together even more to form our belief systems. But you got to knock that ish off. Like you have to go back to being a child and be open to absolutely everything and all new perspectives. So you can't have 
things that are just so crystallized in your mind that you just go so far down one path. And so to your point, it's really about looking at opposite perspectives. It's about opening the box, as I like to call it, opening dimensions and open to feedback. That's right. Excellent. I think for entrepreneurs, there's a real danger because it affects creativity. And to your point about looking at opposing views, this is what we would do when we introduce a new feature or a new product. We would argue and debate the other, like we would switch roles. So everyone that's for it and against it, switch roles. Now let's talk about this. And the level of insight and perspective that comes from that is excellent. It's deep. It's revelatory. This is, I just had a thought, this is something that I should be doing with the family as well, because we have heated debates all the time. But taking that opposing view really forces you to broaden your horizon. Because the danger, like you said, is information bias, right? It affects your decision-making. It can lead to bad decision-making. It can potentially alienate you because now you're surrounding yourself with people who agree with you and only those people. So you're not actually collaborating and interacting with a broader base. And that can lead to a whole host limitations. And no one wants to be limited, right? That's right. You got it. How have you maintained a level head without using tools of the future? You seem to be fairly even keeled about the information that you are consuming. How do you do it? The awareness of the fact that I'm in that bubble and I'm being fed information that is tied to the history of clicks. So sometimes I do forget. I do forget that this is not my perspective and I'm forming this perspective and I'll catch myself. I'll go meta and I'll say, Darren, this is really not aligned with your values, right? Or you've been clicking on this topic or this issue. So recently I've been following the debates, American politics. Since I've been there, I just got, because when you're in the States, you're in that echo chamber, right? In that filter bubble. And so my feed is full of Vivek Ramaswamy, Donald Trump, Biden. It's full of politics at the moment. And it's funny because I catch myself that a month ago, this was not what my feed looked like. And now I've gone all the way to the other end of this spectrum where I'm having conversation with family and I'm catching myself. My son the other day said, why do you always talk about politics? So it's that awareness that it's happening, but we forget we're human. It happens very slowly. It's very subtle. So the awareness, the self-awareness is key. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I think awareness is the key word like it is with everything that we talk about here in Emergence Now is having that awareness to really understand where you sit. And again, really understanding things like content authenticity, the different social aspects, how you start to interact with other individuals. And then, of course, tilting this more toward having a better community and the social good aspects of it. So outside of being more aware, the implications are really vast around value-aligned networking and really trying to start to make people care about this whole mission around data sovereignty and really understanding the fundamental relationship between your own data, how you use certain platforms, and what rights you have around that data. Because your data is very much like your DNA, and data is the commodity of the future. So by being aware, like you said, Darren, and really understanding the multifaceted aspects of these elements, 
it's really about pioneering and redefining how you as a user will now interact with technology, but also how it reshapes the digital landscapes toward this more equitable, this more authentic, and this more user-based type of ecosystem. Beautiful. All right. That's the show. Thank you, folks, for listening. We truly appreciate it. And we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Emergence Now, where we explore the emerging trends, technologies, and ideas that are shaping our world today for you to discover yourself. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights that you can apply in your own life. If you want to stay up to date with our latest episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And don't forget to follow us on social media, where we share additional content, engage with our community, and keep the conversation going. Thanks again for listening to Emergence Now, and we hope you'll join us for the next episode.